Well, good to have you here this morning. We are, it's been a little, a little while since we have been on our question series. We took a couple of weeks off, taking in some of the things from Wednesday and the Sword of the Spirit, uh, the, the uh, Armor of God series we've been doing on Wednesdays, and we brought some of that in on, on Sunday, the last two Sundays. But we're back over here on the questions, and we have been looking at the topic of questions. They are our key to understanding. We go on the, I go on the premise that you can ask stupid questions. It's not recommended. There are questions that we can ask as believers. Some of those questions are lazy. Some of those questions are filled with doubt. Some of those questions don't have any faith in them at all. And these are not questions that get God's attention. And we spent some time looking at questions in the Word of God that really got God's attention. That when they, they were asked the question, answers were sent. All of heaven seemed to be on notice. When Daniel had his questions, all of heaven was on notice. And even a spiritual battle ensued to get that answer to Daniel. And we've seen other places where these things were, were done. That God was interested in their questions, but somehow... Some, sometimes it seems in our own life we've asked questions but we haven't quite got the answers for it. So the goal in this series was we want to see how is it that I can ask questions that get God's attention and questions that bring an answer. Because not all questions seem to garner the same type of an answer. Well, God should just love us all and so he should just go ahead and answer. But that's not the case. And we've, as we keep on going through here, you'll see some questions that God just completely ignored. Just as uh, we used our example, our main example for this is when you're driving on a long trip and uh, mom or dad are driving and the kids are in the back seat, what is the question that everyone dreads? Are we there yet? We all know we get it. It's a lazy question. It involves no effort on their part at all. It only involves work on the person that is supposed to answer the question. But we showed you different ways that we could rephrase that. We could show you different ways that we could work through that. There was no longer a lazy question, but it's an informative question in ways that mom and dad actually would say, oh, I, I look forward to answering that question. We've got to do the same thing with God. How do we get these questions that we have? Because we all have questions. We all have questions. When we have pain, when we have weakness, when we have uncertainty, we have questions. We have something that stays with us for a long time. We wonder, why is this still here? Why has this not gone away? We get questions. We get tempted to think that it's from God, or at least God wants it to go on. And then sometimes our questions are born of that. Last, uh, last time we were on this, we were looking at uh, the questions that came up when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It's amazing the questions that we still get today from this story, which the story itself dispels but yet we still carry it on. Many times people see that Jesus said, go and do as I have shown you, and so we all go out and we wash people's feet. And yet, that's not what Jesus said at all. He said, what I do, you do not now understand. But we can all understand washing feet. So there was something that he was doing that they couldn't understand. That's what he wanted them to do. But too often we have gone from there and we've just taken a very... Um, light understanding of it. and Well, we'll just, I'll just go out and wash other people's feet and if I do this, then I'll be doing what God says and that's wrong. We've got to spend time to find out what is it that was going on. So, we're not going to go over all that, but that was a couple of weeks ago. You can go back up there and take a look at that. That was our fifth in the series on this, on, on checking that out. But there was a very important lesson and if we didn't learn that, we're not going to do what Jesus said to do and we're not going to get what Jesus said would come if we just mimic the actions. But here we want to take a look at this in particular. In John chapter 9, John chapter 9, there is a question that is asked that I think every question, every Christian has asked a question like this in their lifetime. But we really need to break it down and understand what's going on with this. In verse 1 of John chapter 9, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they came upon this man. He was blind from birth. He apparently had not been in any of the meetings that Jesus had because there, most of those meetings, it said that Jesus healed them all. So he may have not been there or maybe he was in some of those that that didn't exactly occur. 
But Jesus comes upon him, and it doesn't seem that Jesus was going to take any time with him, does it? It seemed like Jesus was just going on doing, doing things. If the disciples had not asked this question, it didn't seem that anything else would have happened. There was nothing that really called Jesus' attention to it. But his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, this question has a lot of assumptions in it. It assumes that sin is the result. Sin is at the heart of this matter. The reason this man was born blind is because of sin. Now, what sin could an infant do in the womb? That part's not, not a really part of the question. It's assumed. We've got to be careful of assumptions. We, can, we come to assumptions that, well, I'm, I'm looking at what's going on here. And, well, I just kind of, it seems like this happened. You've ever been at work and somebody gives you a funny look? Oh, they're mad at me. How did you come to that conclusion? You had an assumption, didn't you? I'm assuming. I didn't ask them. Very few people are bold enough to just go, hey, are you mad at me? No, I'm not mad at you at all. Why would you think that? And we clear it up. But you see, we have that assumption. That assumption gets sown in me. Oh, that person's mad at me. Why are they mad at me? Asking the question, why are they mad at me, is based on an assumption. I'm assuming that they're mad at me. I don't ever call that into question. I'm assuming that they're mad at me. And so now I'm trying to find an answer to a question that may not even be. A whole lot of Christians are asking questions, trying to get answers for questions that really don't even exist. And this is where we get into trouble as Christians. So we see something bad. We look around and we see some bad things going on in my life. I look around and I see some bad things going on in other people's lives. And our minds go to this point. What must have been? Something must have been done to bring this thing about. If we see a hurricane, well, something must, judgment must be coming upon them. If a tornado rips through a town and tears it up, well, judgment must have been, they must have done some bad thing that brought that thing about. If an incredible flood wipes out a place, if a tsunami hits, well, something bad, they must have done something bad to bring this thing about. So the, the disciples ask a question. What was the cause for the effect that we see? We see an effect. The effect is the man was born blind. What is the cause? What is it that brought this about? Because if I can figure out what brought about the cause, maybe we can get to a place to get an answer. But i got to find out what the cause is. Who sinned this man or his parents, that, the, that he was born blind. If I can find that out, maybe we can do something. I don't even know if they're trying to do anything about it. I think they just want to know. Because if the answer is his parents sinned, well, let's go find them. Maybe we can, maybe we can clear that up. If the answer is that he sinned, he was in the womb. What's he going to do about it now? I don't know how much they're trying to find an answer or to get the guy back. They're trying to find out how did this bad thing happen. Maybe we can prevent bad things from happening in the future. So it's based on an assumption that someone sinned. Now if a question, I think I left this in your outline for you. If a question we have is based on a false assumption, what would that make the answer we receive? It's impossible to get a truth-filled answer on a question that has a false assumption. I'll take you back to stuff that you know. How many scientists assumed the earth was flat? They assumed it, right? They didn't know it. They assumed it. And they based things off of it. Well, if you keep sailing out there in the ocean, what's going to happen? You're going to fall off the edge. They, they had questions, they had answers, but it was all based on an assumption. We had scientists who believed that everything revolved around the earth. How long did that go on for? Then we found out, oh, wait a minute, it revolves around the sun. And you know they wanted to kill the man who came up with that theory. So we may wonder, why do these things, why do these things happen? 
But if I have a wrong assumption as to why they happened, I will not get to a right answer. The disciples right now are not on a path to get to the right answer because they have a wrong assumption. Now we know that because Jesus answers their question. Take a look at verse 3. Jesus answered, here's the answer, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, this was revealed to me. Someone taught me this about 40-some years ago. I've taught it to you. I've been around here for a while. But uh, I know this from Greek class, which came to me even, even earlier. In Greek class, they would tell us, the punctuation in your Bible is not inspired by God. The words are, but not the punctuation. The problem came in with the Greeks, uh, when they were writing in the, the Greek uh, New Testament, and they're writing all this stuff down, is they didn't have paper as much as we did. And so they had to cram as much into one of the pages as they could. And so they left off the punctuation to try and cram everything in. And so all of the punctuation you have in your Bible is inserted by the translators, every bit of it. Now, for the most part, you can tell where a Greek sentence begins and ends, but not always. So someone help me out with this. And if you read it the way the interpreters have done this, you come up with a completely different answer than the answer I'm going to show you. Here's the answer that is written by the inspiration of those who punctuated the Word of God. Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Period. That would seem to indicate that no one sinned to cause this. The cause is because the works of God had to be made manifest. So this man has been suffering all these years so that God's word, God's works can be manifested here. Period. Right? I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, I'm not going to change a single word in this. All I'm going to do is change the punctuation. What is the question? What is the question that they asked? Who sinned? This man or his parents? That is the question. Jesus is always very good at answering questions. He answers the questions you ask. So many times people get into trouble because they answer they see answers in Jesus' uh, words that, that were never asked. Jesus doesn't do that. He is very good at answering the question. Here's the answer to the question. Just re-punctuate a little bit. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, period. Did he not answer the question? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Period. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, comma. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Doesn't that change the meaning? He answered the question. Who sinned? Nobody. And it wasn't done to set up God's miracle. But I've come to do, to do the works of God. So then Jesus immediately goes over and takes care of the man so that he's healed. The assumption comes that sin is behind any sickness, any disease, any bad thing, any bankruptcy, any loss of job, whatever it is, there's sin, there's a problem that is behind it. We always see a cause and effect. There's something bad happened, therefore something bad will come. The devil loves sowing this stuff into your head because he can get you to believe all sorts of stuff that God is behind, that God is not. So many, many questions that we have, they have assumed truths. There's a whole lot of them. I don't know about you, I love space technology. I love looking and, and studying things about space. I've studied Voyager 1, Voyager 2, the Pioneers. I, they even got a new one that they sent up there. And uh, I, I love reading about these things. I love hearing about it. And what I, I shared this with you before, the Voyager ones, they just astound me. Absolutely astound me. Because what happened when they sent the Voyagers out, the purpose was, if they last long enough, they were supposed to be on a five-year mission, they're now on 
I don't know, what is it, 50, 45, 50 years? They've been out there a long time. And they're still going. And they can still send messages and get messages back. And so they, they, they uh, said, all right, at this point, they're going to hit what they call interstellar space. This is the area where the sun loses its influence. And they made predictions on what was going to happen. I know I said this to you before, but I just I get so fascinated by this. They made predictions about a place in space we've never been, never come close to. And they made predictions as to what space would be like in that. And they were right. They were right. It's amazing. They were right. I can't even, in my mind, I can't even conceive of the fact that there's a space out there, there's a place where the sun's influence drops off and is now interstellar space. But they imagined it, and they imagined what it would be like. And they made assumptions as to what would happen. And those assumptions proved to be true. But they knew they were assumptions. They didn't go in with those assumptions saying these assumptions are fact. No, they went in knowing these is, this is what we think could be true. Let's see if it's so. Einstein, I don't know if you know about that, but some of his theories were put to the test when, our, when we first went up into space. And they tested out some of his theories. He, he theorized what could happen. He knows, I'm making an assumption. I don't know that this is true. But I'm going to see if it is. And so one of the earlier uh, space exploration things they did, they, they put some of his theories to test. And they found out it was true. It happened like he thought it would. I think that's amazing. But you see, they went in knowing this is an assumption. There's a whole lot of Christians. We go into prayer. We go into before God. We don't know we've made an assumption. But I expect to hear truth, and I expect to hear an answer. And we're going to get messed up. So many questions that we have, they assume truths. Those, those assumptions are going to take you right out of the ballpark. They, these scientists, they made assumptions that were correct and they kept them in the ballpark, but they knew to watch for signs that they were out of the ballpark. The top reason for having un unanswered or incorrectly answered questions is the false assumptions in the question. Have you ever wondered, how did people come up with that answer? You know, how do people come up with an, an, with an answer that it's okay for a boy in high school to use the girls' room? How do you come up with that answer? Because you made a false assumption. Well, the boy's just not, he he's actually is a girl, he just looks like a boy. That's a false assumption. It's a stupid assumption, but it's also a false one. But the top reasons for having unanswered or incorrectly answered questions is the false assumption in the question. So I put this in your outline for you. Questions with false assumptions do three things. If you have a question as a false assumption, it's going to do three things for you. First off, it will make answering correctly impossible. If you have a question that has a false assumption, it is impossible for you to get a correct answer. So if you go up to somebody and you say to them, why do you hate me? You, you are setting yourself up to not get a correct answer because you have made the assumption that they hate you. That may not be true. We've got we to take care of the assumptions. We've got to spot them. We've got to know that they're there. So make, it'll make answering correctly impossible. Here's the second one. Are often guarded as sacred truth. How often do you see people who have made assumptions and they guard those assumptions with, as if they are some kind of a sacred truth? You look at our debate with, with abortion. They make an assumption that life does not begin at conception. And they will guard that with everything that they've got. That's an assumption. But they will guard it. Most often, people make an assumption. They will put this into a sacred category and they will guard it as sacred truth. That's a reason why they don't get the right answer. Here's the third one. Keep us blind and deaf to real answers. As long as I believe the earth is flat, I am not going to be able to understand real answers on things that are going on with the earth. Because I still think this thing is flat. As long as I think that, it's going to hinder me. So Jesus refutes the foundation of the question. 
He sees the foundation of the question and he refutes it. And then he begins to answer what they're really asking. Now our assumptions come to us through theories, trying to explain things. I just wrote down some things they tried to explain. You all know my favorite definition of a theory. Theory is a supposition based on ignorance of the topic at hand. It is. That's why I have a theory, because I'm ignorant. I don't know some things. But we make these assumptions based on theories. Our assumptions come to us through theories and trying to explain a couple of things. One thing they're trying to explain is what has or hasn't happened to me. Isn't that right? How many have ever had something happen to you? You're not sure why and you want to find out why it happened. Why did this go on? Why did this happen? We have, uh, we have, we have assumptions in that. Why has this happened to me? My assumption might be, I did something wrong. Well, I don't know if I did anything wrong. My assumption might be, I didn't do anything wrong. But it's an assumption. Here's the second one. What has or hasn't happened to others? You look at what happened to other people. Why did that happen to this person? I love this person. I care for this. Why did that happen to them? We try and find a reason. Here's the third one that I wrote down. You can write down some others if you want to. What goes on in the world? Has there ever been things going on in the world that you don't understand? You try and come up with an explanation for it? A lot of times that leads us to assumptions. Let's take a look at uh, verse 6. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, Some people would assume if you are born blind, it is the will of God that you go through life without sight. How many have ever heard people, not not anybody here, certainly, but um, you know people, they have made that assumption. If you've been born blind, if you were born lame, if you were born with a condition, then it is God's will that that condition go on for you. This is his will. If you have that assumption, well, Jesus turns to him and tells him how to get healed. That's what we're going to do. He spat in the ground, made clay, smeared it on his eyes. If the guy wasn't blind, maybe he didn't know uh, what was going on. I don't know if I want somebody spitting on the ground, making clay and putting mud on my eyes, but if I was blind, and this is a way to get me uh, healed, I think he'd put up with that just about anything. But if it's the will of God for this man's life, what changed? If the will of God for this man's life changed, what caused the change? What caused it? If it was the will of God for him to be born in this life like that, what suddenly caused the change that now Jesus is going to heal him? There has to be a change, right? If it was the will of God for him to be born in this world blind, and he's been blind all the way up until the time that the disciples asked this question, and now suddenly he's not blind anymore. What changed? Did the man repent of his sin? Oh, we don't have any any record of that. Did the man change anything? We don't have any record that he changed anything. We don't have any record that he did much of anything. Now, to show you this, we're going to go to math school. And so I asked Ethel if she can pull these things up. Uh, There are better ways for us to do this, but I... uh, couldn't come up with a whole lot of really good ways for us to do it. But we're going to um, try and take a look at this. Anybody ever, anybody ever heard of, uh, we're missing an M in that top one, but PEMDAS. Anybody ever heard of PEMDAS? Anybody, anybody I know a couple of people have heard, uh, you, you must have, because you, yeah. PEMDAS. This is a mathematical phrase. And what it does is it helps you to understand how equations are supposed to work. And so under PEMDAS, what this means is this gives you the order of how a math equation is supposed to be done and supposed to help you remember it. I put the parentheses in here because this is actually how it's written, but you may not uh, pronounce it that way. The first thing that's in this is the P. Anything in a mathematical equation that has parentheses or brackets. Some, uh, Some places, they'll actually start this with a B. Uh, I've seen it done as a BIMDAS, 
uh, just depends on where you come from, how you phrase the thing. We're from America. Here we usually use the term PEMDAS to get there. P means anything done in a bracket or a parenthetical uh, part of the equation, you do that first. If there are multiple parentheses, you work from the inside out. That's for the rules of math of mathematics. You work from the inside out. You don't work left to right. You work from the inside out on a parentheses. You do the inner parentheses first, then the outer one. If there's a third one, that's how you do them. You do them in that order. E is the, I believe it stands for equation. Uh, if, sorry, exponent. And this is where you're going to have things squared, things that are uh, root, the square root of something. Now you're going to go through, after you do all the parentheses, all the brackets. Now you're going to go through and you're going to do all the exponents. You're going to do the uh, divide out all of the square roots and put them into their spot, into the thing. I didn't bring up an equation here that would bring all this into it because I didn't want to make this too much of a math class. But this is the way that you can understand it, and it's, we're going to do a real simple math equation so that you can see how it affects it. M stands for multiplication. D stands for division. They are in parentheses because you do them together. First off, you do the multiplication and the divisions, but you do it from left to right. So if the first thing you hit is multiplication, you do that. If the second thing you hit is division, you do that. If the third thing you hit is multiplication, you do that. If the fourth thing you hit is division, you do that. You go from left to right in a mathematical equation and solve all of the multiplying and dividing things. After you do that, the last thing you would do is addition and subtraction. And again, you go from left to right, and you do all the addition and all the subtraction. You do it in the order of the equation, left to right. Not in the order of addition first and then subtraction. You go left to right, addition, subtraction. If you did not have that, that there with you, if you just had this very simple equation, 4 times 3 plus 2, if that is your equation, if that is written, what is written out there, you could think 4 times 3 is 12 plus 2 is, and that would be the answer that you would write there. But if the equation is written this way, do we have that way up, up there? There it is. If the equation is written 4 times 3 plus 2 with the parentheses around there, you have to solve the parentheses first, which means 4 times 5, which equals not 14. Now, you could say, I like my way better, and I'm going to put down 14. And you would be wrong. Because there are rules to follow. And the rules are very clear. And that rule says, 3 plus 2 has to be done first. You have to solve that part of the equation. And then you can solve the rest of it. So then we do 4 times 5. But can you see how it changed? And that's just in a very simple mathematic equation. You can get a very complex one and do these same things and make it much more simple. But the rules change it. Because in making this, with the parentheses there, the first thing that has to be done is a 3 plus 2. And then you multiply the 5, which is the 3 plus 2, times the 4, and you get the 20. When we make wrong assumptions and ask questions of God, ask questions of Scripture, ask questions anywhere, if I have wrong assumptions, I will come up with a wrong answer. I've got to first off understand the rules. What are the rules that play? The disciples don't know the rules. They think that somebody's sin could have caused this problem. They think in their mind their sin or the sin of their parents would have caused this thing. They're convinced of it. That's what they believe the rules are. Jesus comes and says, nope, that's not the rule. You don't multiply the 4 times 3 and add 2. That's not the rule. Here's the rule. And he tells them, neither this man nor his parents sin. Now, Jesus doesn't do any extensive background. Uh, well, let's find out. Uh, when you were in the womb, can you think of anything that you did? Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Does he go and find the parents? Let's interview the parents. Is there anything that you had done? He doesn't do that. Why? Because it's not part of the equation. He knows the reason he was born blind has nothing to do with the sin of his parents or 
his own sin. Otherwise, he'd have to go and interview everybody. But he knows, because this is the will of God, that is not in the equation. So that's a false assumption. We've got to first off clear up the assumption in order to get to a right answer. Otherwise, the answer is going to be wrong. Now, I put this under smart, stupid people. Because we have some really smart people that are really stupid. How many people know that? How many of you know people that are really smart and incredibly stupid at the same time? They can do some of the stupidest things. They've been educated, but they can just do stupid, stupid things. And we're going to find them here in verse 8. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, Well, he is like him. He said, I am he. I don't know about you, but I've been looking at this man all these years, and now all of a sudden he can see, but he's still the same guy. And I can look at him and say, oh, that's George. George, how you doing? And George says, I'm doing great. I can see. I can see you can see. Weren't you blind? Yeah, I was blind. I'm seeing now. Oh, man, this is great. Isn't that a normal conversation? No, we have this conversation. Who is that? It looks like George. Can't be George. George is blind. George says, yeah, but I can see now. Yeah, but it, George doesn't see. George is blind. George was born blind. And so they're having this debate about whether the guy is himself. That's a, that's a certain level of stupid right there. Ask the guy, are you him? I am. Oh, all right. But no, they, they're not alone. There's other stupid people around here too. Verse 10, Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Now, think about this. You have a friend. This friend has been born blind, or you have somebody in town. You have an acquaintance, and they've been born blind. They've been blind all the time. They sat, and they begged, and they asked for money. You probably went over and put some money in his cup every once in a while, help him out with some things, and now he can see. What is your first response? What is your first reaction to a person you know personally was born blind? Born blind, and now he can see. What's your first response? Well, how did this happen? Who did it? Is that, I mean, is that your response? How many are saying, man, this is great. Oh, this is wonderful. Oh, I'm so glad that you, you did this happened for you. They don't do that. Oh. Where is he? Where is this Jesus? Where is this guy who, who anointed your eyes? I, I don't know. Now, people seem to fall in three groups. I've told you this before, but you, you tell me, maybe there's more than three groups, but I think people generally fall into three groups. First off, there's those who believe that God, through those who have faith in Jesus, is moving, saving, healing, and working in this world. Isn't that one group of people? One group of people is over here, and they think God heals, saves, does miracles, his powers at work. This is God. This is what God does. He did it in the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. He's still doing it today. That's one group of people. Then there's another group of people. Those who believe that only certain of God's will, that they're only certain, the only certainty in God's will is that he saves sinners through faith in his name. Anything over that is a grace bonus. So one group believes that God heals, saves sets free, ministers, does miracles. This is what one group does. The other group believes, I believe he saves people through faith in his name, but that's all. Anything else is just a grace gift. These are the people who go before God and beg him to do things. God, would you please heal me of this? God, would you please help me with it? God, I need a new job. Please give me a new job. These are the people who beg for God to do these things because this is the group they, they're in. I believe through faith I can be saved, but anything else over that is a grace bonus. Here's the third group. Those who either don't believe in God or that he does anything in this world. 
So we either people believe that God does all kinds of things, God only saves people, everything else is a grace gift, or God doesn't do anything, or God doesn't even exist. Let's go on verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. They brought him. <laughs> I don't know about you. If, if my friend is now seeing, even if my acquaintance is now seeing, I'm not bringing him over for trial. I'm rejoicing. Let's go have a party. Let's go have some fun. Let's go take him on a sightseeing tour. He's been, born, he's been blind since birth. I got some places I want you to see. I want you to see the lake. I want, you, I want to take you on a trail and let you see some of, some of the natural things that God has created in this world. Oh, I want you to go out there and see. No, we're going to go show them some religious people. I don't, don't understand it. But they brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Oh, dear. It was the Sabbath. Then the Pharisees who also asked him again how he might receive his sight. And he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. You're getting a little shorter. You ever done this? Somebody's asked you a question and you give the long version. And then somebody else asks you a question or they ask you the question again. How many of you don't give the long version? You give the short version. And then after that, you give the frustrated version. I washed, I see. What else do you want to know? He's, he's nearing it. He put clay on my eyes, I washed, and I see. He's already heard them tell the Pharisees what had happened. They already told the Pharisees what happened in their eyes. That's why the Pharisees are, are interested. Then the Pharisees also asked him again. So they heard it from the people. Now they want to hear it from him. They asked him again. Then some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. Can you hear all the assumptions in these things now? He is not from God because he heals on the Sabbath. That's assuming that every law that they've made about the Sabbath is right. That's assuming that their view of who is from God is right. That's assuming. That's a lot of assuming. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. Boy, you would think this would be a great day. Everybody ought to be happy. No. No, we're going to be divided on this. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. So they're just going to doubt the whole thing. I don't believe you were ever blind. Go call his parents. I want his parents in here. Let's find out from them. Was he really born blind? And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? I mean, come on. How ignorant do you have to be? How stupid do you have to be to me phrasing questions like this? Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents turned to them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. I would think most parents are overjoyed. My son who was born blind, he can see. He can see. But either they feel pressure. We can't get excited. Pharisees are going to get mad at us. So we're going to temper all this and uh, we're not going to stand up for our son. We'll let him do it himself. I'd rather him face this than he's of age. Ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. <laughs> I mean, that's really pretty basic, isn't it? I don't know what kind of man he was. All I know is this. I was blind. I went to a lot of your meetings. I came out blind. But this guy shows up, and I'm not blind anymore. 
You call him a sinner? I don't know. I don't know what kind of man he is. All I know is, I was blind. I'm not now. That's it. And you can see that all these people, they kind of fall in different groups. Some people want to believe that God moved. Some people, no, I don't know that we can say that God moved here. I think it was something else. There's a reluctance of the people to make a stand for what they believe. Haven't you seen that today? How many Christians are reluctant to make a stand for what they believe? Do you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman because that's the way that God made it? But not many Christians will make a stand. Do you believe that God created them male and female and He created them no mistakes? Do you create them the way that He wanted? But these people are reluctant. I don't want to necessarily make a stand on this because they'll come after me. Take a look at verse 16 again. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Can you imagine that's the basis for judging whether somebody is from God or not? Now, you'll see this even today. You'll see this with political candidates. This one's of God. This one's not of God. This one, we'll, we'll see it with uh, uh, d- different preachers that are out there. This one's of God. This one's not of God. And we have bases for it. Well, I don't like that, the way they do worship. Well, I don't like the words that they use. Well, I don't like the way that they do this. Oh, I don't like the way that they do this. Therefore, they're not of God because I'm an authority here. And I would tell you, if this person is from God, this is how they would respond. This is what they would do. I've had a simple, simple thing for, for me. I look at the hand of God. If I see the hand of God on someone, I don't have to judge all their things that they're doing. doesn't mean I have to agree with everything that they do. But I don't have to sit there and judge about it. You know, this person, well, they run worship this way, but God moves in their services and people have this kind of... Well, then great. You know what? If we all sat in one of the New Testament churches, we may not like it. If we sat in one of the Old Testament uh, synagogues and had uh, one of their services, we may not like it either. But it doesn't mean it wasn't of God. It doesn't mean that God wasn't in it. You've got to recognize the hand of God. Just recognize the hand of God. If you do, you don't have to backtrack on as much. You know, we, way back when, we, when the whole thing started with the pandemic, pandemic, before they closed everything down, I remember Wednesday night, I came in here before y'all, and I told you some things about the pandemic. I never had to go back on a single thing I said on that February. Never had to go back. You know why? Because I, I understood how to watch the hand of God. I knew whose God's hand is on, whose is not. I knew what to side on. I never had to change any of that. Because if you watch where the the hand of God is, just watch where the hand of God is. Well, God's hand is on this. Well, let's go with that. That's all you got to do. I don't got to agree with everything that they do. I don't like everything that they say. I've had some political people. I can't stand listening to them, but I thank God that God put them into place. They weren't there to to teach me, instruct me, or anything like that. But I can recognize the hand of God. That's what you got to do. you got to recognize the hand of God. See where the hand of God is. See what the hand of God is, is doing. So, they have all kinds of people thinking all kinds of things here. Where do we leave off at? We've got up to 26, didn't we? I think we're up to 26. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Let's ask you again. All right, we've asked you like 15 times already. What did he do? How did it happen? What went on? Does it sound like anything today? How many times does the press ask you the same question 15 times? And they, uh, they don't have answers for it. Or they change their, sometimes they change their answers. You ever heard that? I heard there, there was a press conference that was going on this time. The, you know, I, I, mean, I enjoyed the low prices of gas for a little while. Yep. I heard when the gas prices were going up, good old Joe, he's out there. It wasn't, it wasn't his fault. He blamed it on, you know, Russia. He blamed it on. But then when the prices came down, he took credit for it. And so somebody had the guts to ask the press secretary, well, now he took credit for when the gas prices went down. Now that they're going back up again, will he take credit for that as well? <laughs> it was a great question. But you see, we can't, uh, if you don't honor truth, if you try and fudge things along, it's going to catch up with you. Look for the hand of God and stuff. 
They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I love his answer here. I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? What a great answer. Oh, what a great answer. I want to hire this guy for the press court. Because he knows how to cut right to it. What, you want to become his disciples? Of course they don't. They're trying to get everybody to question being his disciple. But he fired it right in there. Boy, I love that little, little line he did. And he's getting bolder and bolder as he's going along. Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. <laughs> oh yeah, let's well, get spiritual now. We know that God spoke to Moses as far as this fellow. We do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's getting even bolder now. Before he wasn't sure who he is, now he's of God. He's of God because look at what he did. I see the things that you guys have done. You guys don't, don't show me anything that you're of God. He shows me he's of God. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You are completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Now, how is his birth any different from theirs? And remember how we started this thing off? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What did Jesus say? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. And what are the Pharisees saying? You were born in sins. In other words, we weren't, but you were. What was different? Can you hear all the assumptions that are going on? That's why they can't come out with truth. That's why they can't come out with, with what's going on. Now, the law that they're concerned with here is the law of the Sabbath. Jesus is not very concerned about the law of the Sabbath because these laws of the Sabbath are ones they made up and added. They're not in the Bible. He had a couple of general rules about the Sabbath, but not the specific ones they came up with. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. When he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? So Jesus heard, hey, they cast out that guy, threw him out of the congregation. So he went and found him. He said, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. How many times has Jesus ever said to someone, I am the Messiah? How many times has Jesus said that? Why is this guy in that category that Jesus is going to tell him? So the man worships Jesus. Well, this man showed himself open to truth over assumption. He showed himself open to truth over assumption. Not everybody is open to truth over assumption. We've made assumptions, and we're going to stick with them. We're not letting them go. They are sacred to us. He showed himself to be open to truth over assumptions, over pressure, and even over acceptance. I don't care if they don't accept me at all. I am going to hang on to the truth. I know this to be true. And he's going to hang on to the truth whether people accept him for it, whether people pressure him to change. doesn't matter. These are the people that God looks to reveal truth to. These are the people he's looking for. I want to find people who will lay aside assumptions. I want to find people who don't care about the pressure. I want to find people that I can reveal this truth to and who will accept it. Not caring how other people will accept them for it. This is why you had certain people in the, uh, in the uh, centuries before who pioneered things in the area of science. Newton and the things that God had Shown God showed him. He was very much pursuing God, and God gave him revelation and understanding of things that were beyond him. And he gave glory to God for it. But the church pressured him, burned a lot of his, his stuff. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, and those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees, some, they're not all there, 
who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? This answer is astounding. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. There are people who feel like, I see, I understand things. But then they come out with these, the, the junk like the Pharisees does. You remember when Jesus gave out the talents in the parable? And the one went out and he took his talents and he doubled them. The other one took his talents and he doubled them. But the one took the one talent he had and he buried it. And he brought it back, the exact same one, and he said to him, here is your money. I put it in the ground and dug it up. I didn't want to lose any of it. Here is all your money. I didn't touch it. He said, why didn't you at least put it in the bank? Well, I knew you were an austere man. I knew that um, you, you reap where you hadn't sown. And I wanted to make sure that I didn't lose what it was you had. And so Jesus says in the parable, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. Out of your own mouth, I will judge you. People who make assumptions about God and come up with nutty ideas, God doesn't even have to go to his word to judge them. He can judge them out of their own mouth because they are not consistent in the belief that they say. They may say this about God, but they're not consistent with it. They don't live like that's the truth. They live like something else is the truth. And God can judge them right out of their own. Well, this is what you believe. This is what you said. So let's just judge you with that. And you come up short. If you were blind, you would have no sin. In other words, if you could see that this was sin and did it, that's a whole different category of not being able to see it's sin and going out there and doing it. But you can see it's sin. You can understand this is wrong. But you're going out there and doing it anyway. And so they did. What I see reveals my doubt or my faith. What kind of things are you able to see? If all I can see is assumptions, if all I can see is wrong answers, all I can see is doubt. But if I can press in, if I can go into something deeper, Father God, I want to understand what happened here with the Jesus. What did Jesus do? What did Paul mean? What does this happen? How does this come about in our life? And I really want to pursue what God has to say about it. God, expose any assumptions I have, any preconceived ideas I have. Expose them to me. I want to see what your word says. Oh, we've had pioneers in the faith that have gone on in years before us that God opened up their eyes and they, oh, now I understand that scripture. Now I see what God was trying to do. And they've gone on, they taught that to us. And we've had that advantage. If you really desire to be free of whatever has you in bondage, you cannot be just one who questions. You can't just be one who runs around, well, I don't understand why these are all, things are always this way. I don't understand why this always happens to me. Always it seems like this is going on with me. Always it seems like I get the short end. Why is it? God, why is it that this always happens to me? I'm so tired of being, stop asking all these questions. These questions are keeping you down. This is what's holding you back. You cannot, if you really desire to be free of whatever it has you in bondage, if you really want to be free of it, you can't just go around asking questions. Well, I don't understand it. Why aren't we there yet? How much longer till we get there? I'm bored. I'm tired. What can I do? That's not going to help you get there. For many people, questioning holds them in bondage. You can't get to the truth. Because truth has been removed from your questions. And you've got assumptions. If you want to come into truth, your questions have to be filled with truth. The ones we looked at so far, Daniel's questions, they were filled with truth. Others, they were filled with truth. Because they were filled with truth, they uncovered more truth. I wrote these things down here for you. You can fill them in if you want. If you really desire to be free of whatever has you in bondage, you must be willing to relinquish these four things. You have to be willing to relinquish it. If you're going to hang on to any one of these, you are going to be held back from the truth that you really need to know. Here's the first one. If you really desire to be free of whatever has you in bondage, you must be willing to relinquish reason for revelation. 
You must be willing to relinquish reason for revelation. Assumptions for truth. You must be willing to relinquish questioning for genuine inquiry. Not just, why does this always happen to me? But inquiry. What's going on here? What is the battle that I face? What is it that I need to get past in order to be free of inquiry? Asking questions that get you to an answer. There's the fourth one, pride. You must be willing to release pride for humility. Reason is a pathway for assumption, just as revelation is the pathway for understanding. You can reason some things out, and maybe it'll help you in some, but if you want to get into things in the, of the Spirit, reason is a pathway for assumption. Who told the disciples that someone sinned? Maybe somebody reasoned that out and taught it to them. Maybe they reasoned it out themselves. Somehow they reasoned that the only reason that this bad thing could happen is because some bad thing happened first. I wrote this in your outline for you too. Assumptions aid in getting to an answer, but not in getting to the truth. Assumptions aid in getting to an answer, but not in getting to the truth. Do you want an answer, or do you want the truth? Which one? The truth will cost you more. You've got to be willing to give up some stuff. You've got to be willing to give up some assumptions. You've got to be willing to give up your pride. You've got to be willing to give these things up. Well, I'm right. God's wrong. You've got to be willing to give that up. If you really want to get to the truth, John 8, 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Assumptions do not have the power to make you free. The truth does. The devil loves to feed you with assumptions because the more assumptions you have in your life, the more bondage you will be in to what is false. You've got to get rid of the assumptions. I can think of numerous times in my own life where God showed me, you've had that assumption. You've assumed this to be so in the Word. Then He showed me, oh, it's not, that's not the case. I didn't see that before. Oh, now I understand. But you see, you have to be willing to relinquish those assumptions. You have to be willing to relinquish the pride that says, I'm right, God's wrong. You have to be willing to relinquish reason. You have to be willing to pursue a real question, not just going around questioning. Well, why does this keep happening to me? Why does this keep going on? Why hasn't this stopped yet? Assumptions can keep you from knowing, understanding, seeking, and seeing the truth. Assumptions can keep you from knowing, understanding, seeking, and seeing the truth. That's what they can do. The enemy loves to push you in the direction of assumptions. As long as he pushes you in the direction of, of assumptions, as long as he keeps you in there, he's going to keep you under whatever circumstances you're in instead of getting out from them. Just because something happens in your life doesn't mean it was your fault. Sure doesn't mean it was God's fault. You don't have to necessarily find the fault of who did it. What you need to do, how do I get past it? How do I get over it? And the devil wants to give you an assumption. You can't get past it. You can't get over it. You were under this for the rest of your life. And go through the Word of God and read stories of people who had leprosy who never had any hope of ever recovering and Jesus cured them. How about the man who was born blind who had no hope that he would ever recover and yet here on this day he woke up like any other day and life changed. How about the man who was at the pool of Bethesda for 40 years he suffered. How about the woman with the issue of blood for all the years that she suffered but then one day, they came to Jesus. One day, they had faith. The woman with the issue of blood was not healed because of any great power 
that Jesus exerted. Jesus, in his own words, said, Your faith has made you whole. There's a whole lot of assumptions we've had in our, our walk, and they're holding you back. They're keeping you down. You've got to let the Spirit of God get in and begin to speak to you about what those assumptions are, how you can get over them. Because it's the truth that will set you free, not an assumption. This man did not get set free because of the assumption that somebody sinned. He was set free because the truth came into his life. Your life can change, but not if you keep asking the same questions, not if you keep hanging on to the same assumptions, not if you keep telling yourself, well, I'm humble, but you're filled with pride and you won't relinquish things that are holding you back. Not if you keep hanging on to, it's not my fault, it's God's fault. Don't let the enemy keep you in bondage any longer. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Your word is filled with light. Jesus said that he operated in the daytime. And as long as it was day, we are to do the works of God. The devil wants to put us in the nighttime. He wants to put us in darkness. He wants to keep the light from coming into our life. Because in the darkness is where he flourishes. Secrecy, assumptions, anger, pride. These are things that are part of the darkness. But through humility, we can come out into the light. We can receive what the Spirit of God wants to say to us. We can be set free. I thank you for the good things that are in store for us. No matter how old or how young we are, there are good things in store for us. The devil may be selling us on a bill of goods that we don't have the talent that we need to be good. We're too old. We're too young. We're missing this. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough experience. He's always selling us on something. Father, your truth sets us free. Help us as we continue to search your word that your truth would open up to us. I thank you. Oh, I thank you for the light that comes into our life. Every day, we see more and more of that light. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, glory to God. I hope you enjoyed being back on our question series. The um, Tomorrow, at about 11 o'clock, we have our normal thing going out. We have a... Uh, I, I love this service. This service that we're going to share with you tomorrow came out the year before I went to Ramah. came out in 1978. In the in service, you're going to see a very young Kenneth Hagin. That was the Kenneth Hagin I went to school with. That was the Kenneth Hagin that taught us there when I was in school. It is a two-hour-plus video teaching. One hour is teaching. In that teaching, he will teach you some things that are astounding in the area of prayer. This is a teaching he did on prayer. Five things about prayer that you really need to know. I hope you get all five. They will help you out tremendously. Once you get past the first hour, if you have to put it on pause and come back to it later on, go ahead and do so. But don't skip the rest of this. What happens in the rest of this service is we have an hour of ministry. In that hour of ministry, you'll see something in the old Brother Hagen that we don't see in the new, in the, in the later Brother Hagen. I think mostly it was because the meetings became so popular and there were so many more thousands of people. He wasn't able to do what he was able to do in these meetings. But he will be going around, he lays hands on people, he prays for people to get sick. There is one woman who's in a wheelchair who ends up walking before he's done with her. But what he does in this service is he teaches while he lays hands on people. He doesn't, he, 
I can't find too many services where he did this, where that are on, recorded on video. I can think of many when we were there and he would do this. But this is one of those ones that's on video. And as he's laying hands on people, he's teaching you about the principles in God's Word and what's going in effect, what's going on here. So that's coming out tomorrow. Hope you can take time for it sometime during the week to listen. First hour is all teaching. And it's a very young Tennessee. It's done in the old RCA auditorium. And it was the year before I arrived at Raymond. He talks about some things in that meeting that would come. And I was there for when those things came. But don't, boy, don't skip out on this. Those, there's those five things, I was listening to, to them and the stories he was telling. Oh, these things are so good. I hope you get hold of them. Because they are some really important things for you to understand. It goes against some preconceived ideas that people have. Some assumptions that people have made about prayer and about God. But you can see it. You know, he doesn't let you go without seeing it in the Word of God. So I hope you get to spend time with that. That will be coming out tomorrow at 11 o'clock for those who are on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, we do have a text list and we text the same link out. It's a YouTube video teaching. So you don't have to be on Facebook to watch it. But that's where you put the main thing up. If you don't get to Facebook and you want to see the, the uh, link, make sure you let me know. We put you on our text list and we'll have you get texted out there. The, the same link that gets put up on there and you can go and, and see it. This is just a tremendous message and I know that you will you will enjoy it. Have a good rest of your day. Bless some of the people that are around you.